welcome to Shelf Esteem, my podcast where I talk to interesting people about interesting things they've read and are reading. I've had all kinds of people on the podcast so far and many great ones to come, people I knew well and people I didn't meet until they walked into the studio, but nothing quite beats the pleasure of sitting down with three of your very best friends for a conversation about books, and that's what I had the opportunity of doing in this episode. Writer and visual artist Jennifer Morgan, novelist Tina Chalk, and Lori Savory, a lawyer, dancer, and writer, all based here in St. John's, are really good friends of mine. We love to talk about all kinds of things, including books, and I think you can see that joy in talking to each other and talking about books come through in this podcast. And as always, I started by asking what people have been reading lately, and Tina was ready with an answer. The one I just finished reading is I Let You Go by Claire McIntosh. Now, it's kind of a British mystery suspense it's about a mother who let go of her son's her, her young son's hands and he gets killed by a car and oh hit and run so like every parent's worst nightmare every wow. parent's worst nightmare so then the, the interesting thing about it was um I, I found some of this way I was skipping through some of it but it was interesting because about halfway through the book you realize this is not why you thought you were reading at all. One of those twists that oh, I love that are like yeah. something like Gone Girl was. Like it was yeah. halfway through, you went, whoa. whoa. And it was also written in first person, third person, first person from point of view of, of somebody, uh, third person by the detectives who were investigating. But then after you get the plot twist, in comes Second person. Oh. Ooh. Second. You. Yeah. You. Addressing the reader directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking to me. No, but it, but but it was not under that. Story. Yeah, yes, right, exactly. You walk oh. it. And, you know, and it worked I because I, I only read it before. That's in, um, Another um, book that I, I can't remember. The, the we Need to Talk About Kevin, is it or something? Oh, yeah, that one That one was in second person too. But And it's, it really worked the way they put this in second person because it's... If I can't, I can't tell you why. To, why. No, don't tell us the twist. No, I won't. <laughs> or I can't tell you why to do it, but it worked. It, it makes you, yeah. it puts you in the exact place of the character. Like oh, you wow. really feel what happens to the character. So I let I, you go. The, I let you go. The you part is McIntosh. almost like a first person narrative, but almost more intense. So at that point in the book, you have three points of view: oh, wow. third, first, and second, which hardly ever you see, right? Mm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. And I'm reading now, just started a little while ago, so I can't say much about it, but it's really good. The Humans by Matt Haig. I haven't even heard of that. It's because it's based on, um, he's like an alien who came to Earth, took over the body of a man who was just, a mathematician who was just killed. Mm -hmm. And he's reporting back to his fellow aliens what humans are like. He's telling the story of how he took over the body. And it's really just kind of funny and interesting and very I found it different than what a lot of a lot of science fiction um says about aliens you know well, it's, it's really very mathematical concept, it know? is there's so much of sci-fi that's like us looking at the aliens yes, yes. but the yes. idea of the aliens looking at us is mm-hmm. perhaps and it's really mm-hmm. I think that you find really interesting based on this discussion that one of the things that they're amazed with is that uh, humans have to read books a word at a time. 
rather than take word capsules where you can instantly have the knowledge in your mind because they are far advanced than us. (laughs) And so he complains that, of course, this is a, a primitive species because... That, you know, they're mortal. I guess they must be immortal. I haven't gotten that part yet because he only gives a little bit away at a time. Uh, they're mortal. And by the time they finish reading all these books to get enough knowledge, they're dead. I think he misses the point. That's a neat concept. Jennifer, you were about to jump in with something that uh, you said something you had read recently or were reading that was interesting. Well, you were talking about the, the second The person. you thing. No, this was actually uh, what, two and a half years ago. I was okay. reading this on audio audiobook, but it's this, uh, the Sephirad, and I can't remember the name of the author. It's a Spanish writer, and it was in... English uh, translation, but um, it was really. Uh, I was that's and I was, good, so you could understand it. Well, exactly. <laughs> since I can't read Spanish, it was um, really evocative, and he he would start talking about someone and telling their story, and then slip into a she. And move into it, it was second person. He is the second person. So, like you, was it Sephirad by Antonio Munoz Molina? Molina, yes, that's the guy. Yes, I recommend <laughs> it. It's a, a really interesting way of writing. I recommend just to say that I've and it a book just, by Antonio. <laughs> yeah, I know. I could really name drop if I could remember the name. <laughs> but that's the problem with name dropping. But it's this lovely way of talking about uh, communities on top of each other it's almost like layering which we do in visual art with printmaking it was like he could talk about a contemporary experience going to visit this museum in new york and yet at the same time he's also talking about all the immigrants who went before and their experiences mm-hmm. and so you know on the one hand you're in this contemporary car on the outskirts of a Spanish village and then you pull into town and part of it is flashback of course but other parts is you just have this glancing relationship with this woman with the chestnut hair who appears as a Jewish refugee in Moscow or Warsaw I can't remember which uh, and the, and then she appears you know it, as a lover who's hiding in a nunnery and then she appears as the guide in the museum and then the author the narrator and there's the narrator is often coming through as an I and then he says you know, but you will remember you and starts talking to, you know, me. Yeah. And and really, this you is this, maybe this woman. And so there's this real ambiguity of who he's referring to when he has an in, in, a pronoun. And I would stop and pause and rewind because I didn't have the physical mm-hmm. book to double check, yes. which made it a little more uh, confusing. But yet, uh, somehow, there's something about that kind of confusion 
that makes you just kind of let go of your hold on the rules, the grammatical uh-huh. rules, right. and just kind of let them take you where he is going to take you. And, and it becomes a much more visceral experience cool. you know, in the book. That's so yeah. interesting. Now, I haven't read a lot where writers experiment with second person. I've read some memoirs that are mostly first person, but then the writer sometimes slips into second person, which, you know, is really just another way of writing first person, but I think trying to make it a little Mm -hmm. more immediate for the reader or bringing them into it. But it's really interesting when it's well done. Yeah. Yeah. Laurie, what about you? Anything you've read recently or reading now? Um, I, not long ago, finished Small Great Things by Jodi Pico. Okay. So a completely different take on different perspectives because it's a fascinating story and some parts of it are very difficult to read, mm-hmm. especially in the current context. So the, the I guess the, the story is that a an African-American nurse is, uh, she's a, an obstetrics nurse, and a white supremacist couple have a baby and they insist that she not have anything to do with this child uh-huh. in terms of care. Uh-huh. And um, there's a point where the baby is um, has had a routine procedure. And there's an emergency on the floor and they're short-staffed. So this nurse gets left, you know in the in the room or in the op, in the small OR with the baby. And I'm not giving anything away by saying that the baby ends up having a a cardiac um, problem. And she is standing there with the dilemma of what do I do? She's the only one in the room. Uh And um, so the baby then uh, is uh, a a team comes in, you know, the doctors, the other nurses and so on. and the baby isn't able to be resuscitated. So she, this woman is charged with murder. Oh. And so they tell the story from her perspective. Mm-hmm. They tell the story from the perspective of the father, the white supremacist father. And they also tell the story from the perspective of the public defender uh-huh. who represents her in the trial. And it's really fascinating because, like I said, first of all, you know, you're, I was sort of sitting there because the father is talking about all of these things from his perspective as, it, as you know, I believe these things to be mm-hmm. true. I believe mm-hmm. this is how I, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's so hard to, to read write, that, to write it had to be hard to write yeah. from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to say whether she was authentic to it, but I mean, it just felt... It was hard to read, but it was also, like I said, had to be hard to write. And she didn't, she didn't demonize him in it. Mm-hmm. She made it authentic. You know, she made it, this is his experience. She wasn't writing it in a way that the reader would go, oh, he's a terrible person. So you do garner some sympathy for this person, even though mm-hmm. you don't agree with his politics. You understand his feelings, you know, and, and why he's come to where he's come. Um, it's really interesting because the public defender is a white, you know, relatively uh-huh. privileged woman right, yeah. who has come into this profession to help people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, 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 the, and the main character, the African-American nurse, she is, you know, she talks through the book about what that sort of subtle undercurrent racism is and so she and she's educating this this woman this her her lawyer 
who is somebody who, you know, has um, the empathy and the sympathy and the desire to help, but is, you know, through her learning from her client, you understand how deep that you're learning with her Mm -hmm. if you're someone Mm -hmm. who comes from that same, you know, place. And Mm -hmm. I think, so I think a lot of people would get a lot from this book because you do learn so much. Mm -hmm. And she teaches it, teaches those lessons in a very subtle and so it's never preachy. It's never, um, you know, this is the right and this is the wrong, or this is the pardon, pardon the poem, but this is the black and this is the white. Like, so you, so they're, they're wonderfully told stories that interweave and you learn, like at the end of the book, I just wanted to go back to the first page and read it again because I, you know, it was, it was just, it was like layering on of, of knowledge and understanding as you were going through this book. And I was like, at the end of it, you just sit and go, wow, you know, like, can I start that again? That's amazing. Yeah. Sounds so interesting. Yeah. Um, Anybody read anything or planning on reading anything by a local author that's something that's had a big impact on you? Anything by by a local author? Any Newfoundland writers that you want to talk about? I know Jennifer has one on the top of her book. Little dogs. Showing it doesn't help because... uh, (laughs) So tell us what it is. Oh, this is um, uh, Michael Crummy's uh, latest uh, collection of his poetry and uh, was shortlisted for the Winterset right. and is currently shortlisted for the NL Book Awards, the E.J. Pratt Poetry okay. Award. And uh, so I haven't read it yet, um, but... Um, but I went to uh, the Winterset reading, and he uh, read from it, and uh, and I love his poetry. Mm-hmm. So this is something I'm I'm eager to read. Um, but it was interesting in the Winterset that Michael uh, said uh, he was. People were asking him about the comparison between uh, his writing novels and writing uh, his poems, and Which, I love. Of course, he does both so he, well. Yeah, I love his novels too, and was completely caught up in Sweetland, which you know yeah. is is an amazing and and galore oh, God, to yeah. me is like glacial in its de- description. It's like this weighty book that, that I mean, not that it's. A drudgery to read it's it, just but so it's just so much in it. It's just yeah. packed, yeah. and it's carrying so much, you know, and and it's so glacial in its effect on uh, and and you know, like both effect and and effect on the landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's of the landscape of Newfoundland culture. So I uh, I really love his novel writing, but he he says he makes up the fiction. Whereas the poems are, well, I, I guess what he, I'm probably misquoting him, and I have to realize that this is not like just a private conversation, and there is a chance that right. someone this will be heard by the dozens of people who listen to my but, podcast. But somebody yeah. who was at Winterset will be, he, he didn't That's say that at all. That's not what he said. Um, what he actually, I think, was saying was that poetry comes to him. It's not something he can't discipline himself to sit down and write. I extrapolated from that because he went on to say that poetry is, his poetry is much more about him. That that the I in his poetry is Michael. Is him. He is the speaker as well as the poet. So someone asked him a question about, uh, you know, a young man sitting at, uh, you know, in his, his father's deathbed, you know. 
and uh, and not being tongue-tied and admiring the strong women. Mm. And she said, you know, you write about strong women. And he said, thank you. And he started to answer that. But he said, but, but I do have to say you're being very generous because I am that young man. You know, mm-hmm. I am that man. So so this is the other thing is that this is uh, so completely honest. Uh-huh. And, and I think that's why it works so well in the poetry form because, you know, you... There's only so much of complete honesty about yourself you can take, you know. Like, yes. <laughs> I don't know if I really could sit down and read this in novel length, yeah. right? Well, I mean, that, that's the problem with so many <laughs> memoirs and autobiographies. Too much raw honesty. Yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. So poetry is perhaps you know? a good form for that. And then just crystallizing that moment and in the specificity about writing about yourself he really says something that gives us all that aha i've been there yes you know it's very believable that's the that's the amazing gift i think is to write something that's so specific either to yourself or to your place and time or whatever and yet somehow make it universal so people with a very different experience can go oh yeah i see myself in that or i know what that's like you know that's that's an amazing gift And, and there's another book that i think you know, uh, more of us Newfoundlanders should read. Uh, that's a, a local book, and that's um, Peddler Press's uh, Stan Raglan's book, Strangers, Strangers and Others, and Others. And it's uh, he's talking about Newfoundland culture and Newfoundland writing, uh, but it really uh, it's it's also Stan walks a really nice line. Between, um, you know how modern nonfiction and essay writing has gotten very, very personal to the point where you are really examining somebody's stool specimens in the, (laughs) I'm serious, in the hotel room in Porta Basque. No, not Porta Basque, in Lanza Meadows. Oh, this is that guy, that Chinese writer. writer. Right? Yes. Right? Okay. And like, all I can think of is a, oh, factor, okay? Carl Ovid Knausgaard, isn't it? Yeah. I wouldn't even read that. And when I read his his New Yorker article, you know, uh, traveling, uh, following the Vikings heritage and this sort of thing, and then yes, I, thought, I read that. Too. Oh, this is where you get these navel gazing, self centered, egotistical <laughs> writing. Okay. And there's and hyphens and all that. I'm not talking about any writer specifically. No, here, but oh, just no, generally, no, no, no. Generally. It's not about you. It's no. <laughs> <laughs> like Carly Simon's on your Sylvain. If you it, think it's about it, you, it's, it's not. not. <laughs> but meanwhile, Stan Draglin is uh, the opposite. He's just a, a very humble CFA who is all this, you know, education and everything, you know, and yet is 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 observing in a very intelligent and involved away, way. And yeah, he's a come from away. And it's I think that is the topic that is this underlying theme that's in this that is I maybe unconscious, uh, but maybe Stan is I mean, you know, very aware that that's a theme. Is uh, that I'm quite interested right now, as we have this uh, like gander, the celebration of what generous people Newfoundlanders yes. are like. You know, come from away, again. yeah, come from come away. away and and uh, there's an article, uh, an interesting editorial by a anthropologist who's been coming to Newfoundland uh, in the last week's Telegram about you know exactly how 
friendly we are. And yeah. and so um yeah. well, we're friendly but there are quali- there are definite qualifications. Yeah. <laughs> that Stan really does a nice job of giving you this predicament he's in of discussing Newfoundland culture as someone who is a come from away, but he's been here for so long mm. and been so invested in this culture and raised his daughter here and, you know, has made his life here mm-hmm. and, and made very, very good friends with the people he's talking about. Mm-hmm. That he uh, has certainly earned that right and yet still has this need to be apologetic yeah. about it. Yeah. And, and so for me, it was a really good way of coming in and seeing um, what it would be like to be a come from away yeah. in Newfoundland, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to, you know, he has very interesting observations of all the writers that he talks oh, about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I've heard so much about that book, but again, haven't picked it up, but uh, always so many things on the to read pile. Anything else you, were you thinking of a local book? You were looking something up on your phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to check the name of it because I never remember the name of it. It's, it's a little bit of a, sort of similar and, and sort of different. It's Amelia Curran has uh, released a book right. through Breakwater yeah. called yeah. Relics and Tunes. Mm-hmm. So it's all of her songs. So the lyrics okay. of all of her songs. Uh-huh. So um, I'm a big Amelia Curran fan and I was thrilled because it was like start to finish. So her right. most recent right. watershed um, as well as all the others. And so it's wonderful to read her lyrics almost as poems, mm-hmm. which is fabulous because yes, she's a, yeah. a real mm-hmm. talented yes. wordsmith. Yes. But as a guitar player, she also has included the guitar chords. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a wonderful two-for-one for a, a fan and a musician and yeah. a writer and reader. I loved it. Yeah, she is so good. I snatched yeah. it up. I was, you know, and I was like, Hugged it to my chest. No, I'm not taking it home. Like, that's how excited I was. Oh, that's I love it. I love it. Have you hugged a book like that? I have. Not lately. Not lately. So there have been books that have been huggable, which kind of leads me into what are books that have had a big influence on you or books that have really stayed with you? Anyone got any thoughts on that? I um, have been watching uh, the Anne series. Oh, Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables. And um, when I came home at the beginning of the century, um, <laughs> I was, oh my God! This century, <laughs> the 21st century. Why? Is she referring to her time traveling? No, wait, oh, we've no, traveled years ago. I came ah. home and, uh, and uh, was in oh, my, my bedroom. No, I got to say that now. That I had grown up in. Well, I wasn't sleeping there, but I. Uh, I reread Little Women and was just shocked. I hadn't read it, you know, probably for about 20 years and, and was shocked at how, how much Jennifer, young Jennifer in particular, had modeled herself after Joe. Oh, of course. Yes. Right. Everybody models herself after Joe. Right. And then, um, you know, I know that I read Anne of Green Gables, I don't know how many times mm-hmm. as a young person. I mean, I read it over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And then, of course, uh, went and read, uh, read, read as many of them as I could and then got bored when she, you know, became a married and spayed old woman, like a, <laughs> as lay, as boring as a cut cat. And, and then read Emily of New Moon, you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, looking at the, um, the TV series uh-huh. by the scriptwriter whose name escapes me, but is the same script screen wrote the screenplay for Breaking Bad. Um, I'm really struck with 
not how I shape myself to be like Anne, but I really think that as a young girl, mm-hmm. how much I was like Anne. Right. Now, while, not intentionally, like no, Joe and Little Women, but unintentionally. Unintentionally. But, that, you know, like that she really captures that, and the screenplay writer and the, and the actress have really got it there. This mercurial life of a young child, a pre-adolescent girl, and how, you know, she, you blow from extreme ecstasy to yes. total despair yes. yeah. in seconds. Yeah, those immense ups and downs, that emotional yeah. roller coaster. She really captures that. She really does, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is that, like Anne goes through, as you know, as we all know, she's riding in a carriage and goes through the, mm-hmm. these uh, yeah. cherry blossoms and she calls it the white way mm-hmm. of delight. But in the actual TV series, you see Matthew and Anne in this little cart Mm -hmm. and the boughs are just over their heads and you think wow that really would be so seriously cool so they really do capture the visual (laughs) and the other thing is uh, that you see very quickly with the TV series is how very um, influenced by her environment Anne is Mm. and as a young girl that she really is a sensitive young girl and and totally also her, her sentences, which are taken straight from the book, are totally inappropriate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course. Vocabulary. And, and the yeah. thing about well, revisiting. She doesn't even realize she's, no, she's not no, even she's trying, trying to show She's not trying it's, to yeah. show off. She's not. She yeah. hasn't got any register. This she is has, just. She has no context. Like, she has just, no context. She's yeah. just completely learned she's, it from books. That's yes, where she got yeah. everything, right? And so social interaction and everything. Mm. Um, uh, but I think that, um, so I've gone back and I've started rereading Anne, and there's things of it that I, you know, here we go, oh, yes, this part, and, you know, I see that. <laughs> Another 15 pages yeah. of description, which I think is, you know. Or, or just moving from crisis to crisis yes, in yeah. a very, you know, it's a very um, episodic style of writing. Yeah. Um, so there are, you know, the, the, there are weaknesses in the storytelling that, that come back to me again. But um, uh, I, I have to say, it's it is interesting to re-enter that life, and the, mm. to my surprise, it's actually more about Marilla than mm. about Anne, in my opinion. And maybe yeah. that's because, as mm. an adult, I'm reading it from Marilla's yes, perspective. Yes, if I were reading it now, I certainly yeah. would be empathizing yeah. more with Marilla. But is I like think what 55, I think. She's 55. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's my like age. an old woman when yeah. I read it as a kid. Said, Matthew Marilla. is 60, yes. and I'm pretty sure that Marilla is 55, though I'm not sure. But I also think that she's writing it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, she starts mm-hmm. you, she starts with Rachel Lind, mm-hmm. Marilla's busybody. She moves on to Matthew. She has Rachel Lind is surprised, first chapter. Matthew Cuthbert is surprised, and then Marilla is surprised. Yes, yeah. But it really is, it's Marilla mm. who's, I think, is actually the perspective that we often have in that book. Mm. Uh, and I find reading, watching this new series and, and sort of thinking back to the original series and the books, what I take from it even more and all of them, but I think this series really does it well is that whole idea of Anne is the outcast. Anne yeah. is this completely has had mm, no yes. upbringing, no way to, to figure out where she is in the world yeah. other than books. Mm-hmm. And she has no 
so you know and she's she's constantly put in she's she's trying her best but she's constantly put in these situations where she cannot win for losing yeah. mm-hmm. and and none of that is her fault and i think that for me as a as a child you know that whole concept of being being the outsider but somebody loving you regardless mm-hmm. and somebody you know uh, and and the the have feeling like you have to prove yourself and in spite of all the mistakes that you make or that the the things that you do that you know might be outside of the social confines these you know the, the whole the the love relationship that develops between them and that fact that there can be somebody who loves you for no matter no matter who you are or what you do and and support you you know that i think that was for me and and that really mm-hmm. is coming through in this you know and and yeah. the whole you know just the social context of what she went through mm-hmm. yes yeah and then putting her in this completely foreign you know, place and societal mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. She's script, such a fish out of water. The scriptwriter yeah. really oh, plays yeah. up what a vulnerable child she yes. is. Mm-hmm. You yeah. really see her vulnerabilities. Like um, L.M. Montgomery used yeah. to say, uh, "Rain uh, sty- rainbows are just as realistic as pigsties." Mm. I just happen to r- want to write about rainbows. Yeah. But the screenwriter has really underlined the references to the big styles. Yes. yes. You know, the abuse mm. in her past, physical, emotional, yeah. and the, the bullying. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. And, and the, this little girl is in a world, like, there. she even introduces extra characters who are, like, like the man mm. in the train station who comes up to her and says, little girl, I was called to pick you up. Yes, mm. I saw. I haven't even seen the series yet, but mm. I saw that clip in the promo. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, that's not a scene that's yeah. not in the books. No, yeah. But no. it does get at that incredible vulnerability yeah. of, of yeah. the child. And the fact that her feistiness, in some respects, has just been born of this... I need to look after myself. It's a total I am the only yes. one I have. Yeah. And I like mm. the fact that in this series, and I know we're talking more about TV than books, but, you know, in this particular series, you know, she stands up even to Marilla and, and Matthew. She's like, mm-hmm. look, you know, like when Matthew comes to find her in the train station, mm-hmm. she's like, look, I don't need you. You know, yeah. you're going to take me back and then you're going to throw me out again because, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, again, it's not just her vulnerability, but the fact that that strength and that yeah. feminism uh, comes from her just having to look after herself, well, you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting because um, I, I always ask people this question with every podcast I've done so far. Uh, and I was saying to Christine Hennebury and, and Michelle Butler-Hallett a couple weeks ago, um, most adult women at least most adult Canadian mm. women will say Anne of Green Gables Absolutely. was one of the books, either one of the books that they mm. influenced them or one of the characters that yeah. they identified with as a child. Uh, it isn't for everybody, but it is for a mm. shocking number of people. Like it's mm. certainly of our generation yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and older. Uh, anyway, what, what, what other books? What are books that had a big influence, either as a child or more recently? Well, I wonder just based that way, just say it then. I, I, I was thinking back about books that I read growing up over and over and over. Why, why do you think we read them over and over and over? Do you think it's because, for me, I think it was because we didn't have very many books. <laughs> in a small community and I read everything in the library so I just go back and read mm-hmm. the ones we owned over That's and over. Right. I like Little Women, like Incredible Journey, like yeah. Black Beauty and... Uh, the Year you, of Raccoon. I must have read that on my There's a lot of animal books in your uh, <laughs> Apparently. I, I don't know if I reread many. Oh, there did. were some that I did. But, I mean, I read. There wasn't a Bobsy Twin or Hardy Boys or, you know, all those mystery series. I read every one of them. 
you know, yeah. like everyone. Trixie Belvin. Yeah, Trixie, Trixie Belvin. Again, the feisty, spunky Absolutely. girl. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, Narnia Chronicles. Yes. I read and reread those. those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't tell you That's how many true. times. Didn't read those. Um, Didn't read Anne of Green Gables. I don't think it was a shortage um, of you, books, though, in my case, though, because, I mean, I used to go to the Arts and Culture Center Library all the time. The bookmobile used to park at the bottom of my street. I just loved, I still love rereading. I yeah. still love rereading. I it's just going back with old back, friends. Old friends and back into the world. Yeah, the world. It's comfortable. I'm, I'm engaged in an yeah. epic rereading project now because my favorite fantasy author, Robin Hobb, is coming out with a new book in mm-hmm. May. And it is the 16th in what's not exactly a series, but a collection of series. It's like she's written several mm-hmm. trilogies and one tetralogy set in the same world mm-hmm. with interconnected characters. And I've read them over a long mm-hmm. period of several years. And I thought, before this new one comes out, because it might be the last one that she does as well, I want to reread all <laughs> 15 <laughs> of them. So, just so I did that. I'm, I, I love love, love, love the Outlander series. Mm. And, you know, I have done that a couple of times where she, okay, she's coming out with I'm one more book. Really and I started at the beginning <laughs> and I'm like, because actually when I first discovered them, I think the first book I read was actually the second or third in the series. And I was mm. like, yeah, wait I a minute, I'm missing things. And yeah. then I, had, yeah, I realized, yeah, and so I bought, you know, so I started at the beginning. And then, you know, there would be a span of time between the books. So I'd start, re- you know, again. And so, you know, she came out with, a new one, can't even remember, that was a few years ago. So I, st- I said, okay, while I'm waiting for that one to come out, I'm going to read all of the other ones. And then by the time I got to the beginning of the new one, there was another new one. So I was like, oh my God. And her books are so, they're like eating cheesecake, right? They're so dense in wonderful description. Mm-hmm. Detail yes. to yeah. the detail. And I don't mind it. It's not boring. It's not academic. She does it in a way that keeps you engaged, but also helps you understand the context. So you really get an appreciation of how much research she must have done. But, you know, because she knows everything about what kind of underwear and what you would have eaten and how you would have eaten it with and all those things. So you're getting all that description. But it is like eating cheesecake for 14 days straight, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. by the time I, I got to book six, I was like, oh uh, my God, uh, can I do a, it? It's so I exhausting. I felt that way on my third Michael and Dachi book that I had, like, it was too much on Dachi. And I was like, oh, I can't even look at this one now. I have that on That was the feeling, yeah. Tina, having read a lot in the limited, reread a lot in the limited library you had available as a child, do you still reread now a lot, or do you not? I still reread those books. Yeah. I reread mm, um, the ones you loved as a kid. Um, I, I'd say, I, I was thinking Stranger in Strange Land, sure, probably mm. one I reread. Most recently, a science fiction one. Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so no, not not just the, just that one. And the one the one I wanted to say that I had a big influence was Bird by Bird by Anne. Oh, oh, yes. oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. because um, well, I think at the time I found it, I was really I didn't know any other writers, and she made me feel sane. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. All mm-hmm. the crazy thoughts I had, <laughs> she had, and she put them in words, and I went, oh, I'm not alone. But she also, like, at the same like time, that. I was working on addictions, and she talks about addiction, and yeah. she talks about like I don't think you have to be a reader, uh, a writer no. to want to like this book. It's a very uh, there, but there is no writer to whom I would not recommend. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, one absolutely. and Stephen King's on writing. Yes, yes absolutely. And Big now. Magic for me. Big Magic really was <laughs> yeah. because uh, 
don't where I did bring the cover. I was reading Big Magic on the airplane on my way to Portland. Creative living beyond fear. I think that's kind of nice. I love it. And Mm -hmm. and to me, all three of those books, the Stephen King, the Animal, and and Big Magic, they were they went beyond the creative process. Whatever your creative process is, whether it's writing or you know, it's not about tools. And there were so many times when I was reading Big Magic where I was sitting back in the airplane going, oh, yeah, that's it. it just you know, and the same with Bird by Bird. It was the yeah. same thing. I would like, have that kind of a visceral reaction to it. Because well, for Bird me, by Bird is like, yeah, it's, 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 uh, I, I leave it laying with Jesus flaying it. I mean, oh, everybody yes, needs, yes, it needs yeah. to remember that. And I don't know how many times I say to myself or to my kids or something, Take it bird by bird, bird by bird. Yes, that's right. And the other great piece of advice advice in that book for writing specifically is the one-inch picture frame. Mm. Yes. When the whole big picture leaves you so defeated and you don't know how to tackle it, write as much as you can see in a one-inch picture frame. You know, like take a tiny, tiny moment or a tiny scene. I must have forgotten that. That that was it. And I think that's that's important to life. (laughs) Like all of those things I took away from it. Don't think global. Every once in a while you just have to say, okay, this is all. This I need is to worry as about. much as I can take on, yes, and, and, and I still, you know, yeah, creatively yeah. and in life, yeah. The whole yeah. So sometimes I do still kind of be like, okay, life is a little overwhelming. What's in the one-inch picture frame? Yeah, what can and I do right at this instant? The most brilliant thing, that thing about yeah. radio, what she calls radio KFKD, that's playing. You know, you've yeah. got both channels in your head all the time. Yeah. The one that is yeah. the negative voice, and then the one that is the crazy self-aggrandizing yeah. and voice. And yes. Thursday meeting, yeah. Thursday night meetings. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yes, yes. Well, that was where your friends right. are all yeah. meeting on yes. Thursday nights to discuss <laughs> 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 Operating and Instructions by her, which oh, is yes. uh, this, uh, mm-hmm. a diary of my son's first year, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. And his name is Sam, and my first son That's is Sam. Right, and yeah. so it was, yeah, it was, and that, that was idea. the same thing. It made you realize, okay, other people want to take their children and throw them out the window sometimes. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. that is not, doesn't mean you're a horrible yeah. person. Yeah, it just means that you're, this is, this is This is a tough job. You know, you don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's okay to think right. it. Yeah, and she and she she does that, and it's okay yeah. to sit there crying in the middle of the night because you haven't slept for so many yeah. days. You know, like yeah. I just think any, anything that makes you. All related. of that Lamont's nonfiction yeah, me for too. me been a me grace too. eventually Same to me was a hugely important mm. book for me, and it just yeah, she yeah. just has that that voice and that way of saying you know it's not that you're not crazy. It's that we're all crazy. We're all crazy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And it's okay to be crazy. Yeah. And it's okay. And for me, Big Magic, the other one was, you know, her whole thing about she decided to be a writer. It had nothing to do with whether she was ever published. It had nothing to do with whether she ever finished anything. She was a writer. And mm-hmm. and that, I think, changed things yeah, for the, me. The right? cut line, you know, Creative Living Beyond Fear is where she mm-hmm. really hits it with Big Magic is... She really talks about the way we trip ourselves up. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and and sabotage ourselves before yeah. we even get to it. And she has these great examples and great yes, anecdotes, yeah. and yeah. you know that I really appreciated. You know, it was sort of. Yeah. Uh, and again, yeah. to me, those are things that can be taken into the bigger context. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, if 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 you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or you're a teacher or whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you have to win the prizes. Like, if you decide I'm going to be this, then you be that, and that yeah. may be a smaller. Context, it may be an immediate context, it may be a bigger picture. 
it's about the process. It's about yes. the work. It's not about the end result. And, I, you know, so, again, I really loved that book for those mm-hmm. kinds of messages. There's so. definitely stuff in Big Magic. And I know, Tina, you're not as big a fan, but it's Jennifer. <laughs> Do tell. I know. I just, the cynic in me says, it's very easy to say, oh, I didn't care if I was published. When your uh, biography is the number one New York Times bestselling author <laughs> and several <laughs> other internationally bestselling to books. To be fair, she had blah, a blah, lot blah. of years in yes. Yes, yeah, I know, but she wrote and the she talks, But she talks about those I do like some of the stuff in there. There's some of the stuff in there. I do like some of the stuff. There's all the stuff that's too woo-woo for me. Like her whole thing about how if you don't write the book, the book will go yeah, find someone else to write it. Yeah, I pressured by that shit. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of yeah. bought into that. Yeah, no, I don't. She did lose me there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I don't know. But I'm currently listening to... Uh, her book on audiobooks right now um the signature of all things i love the signature of all things oh my i love it too what and you read it too oh my goodness and my dear the most sensual non-sexy i have ever absolutely my goodness this is for anybody who's not keeping up this is elizabeth gilbert's historical novel which she wrote after uh um eat pray love but before Mm. big magic she wrote wrote this novel and completely different voice and very very talented piece of writing uh just and very evocative and well researched and uh just you know Wonderful yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the only non-fiction uh, fiction by her I've read. Did yeah. you do well with it? Yes, yeah, I did. Although I don't okay, know, because I didn't know like it wasn't yeah. a runaway bestseller, no, but it was as no. historical fiction. Anne Lamott, it was a big one. Yeah. Fiction is not as yeah, not as successful. As no, and I, I don't think it's as good. Like I've read a couple yeah. of Anne Lamott's novels. I love all of her nonfiction. I don't love her novels. As it does. Much. I think what you said about the honesty mm-hmm. that maybe mm-hmm. it's, it's like too Michael Cummings' poetry. Mm-hmm. That's the, the nonfiction is where she let herself be her, yeah. and it's her mm-hmm. voice and her true her trueness that makes it good. That makes it work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's hard to say mm-hmm. because I think for a long time Anne Lamott seemed to think of herself mostly as a novelist, but she was doing better off her nonfiction, and it was you know that was what was really capturing people. I think Elizabeth Gilbert I think has a real ability to move between both because yeah. Signature of All Things was a great novel. Oh, you know, um, go ahead. You were going to say something. I was going to say another book. I think it kind of covers a couple of our topics, but. And it was kind of strange how I came to it, but The Little Prince for me oh. was just—it still is. Like it, if I if there's a book that I reread on a regular basis, it's The Little Prince. I've never read any. I was about I was probably about seven, and my <laughs> sister, really? my oldest sister, was they she was doing French course in university, and she when she would come home for weekends, mm-hmm. she would read she was reading it, but she yeah. would translate it. So she read it to me, but she was translating it into English. Mm-hmm. And I you know it just it just was like became part of my DNA. It was just like mm-hmm. this book. I just loved it. And every time I read it, at every stage, I get something different from it, and I get more from it. And it's just like I feel like it's almost like I said, it's like part of my skin. I love. Did that you book read so it much. as a young child? I read it not as young as Lori did. I maybe read it when I was twelve or thirteen. Mm. I think it I was... read it 
as I did so many books, standing up at a bookstore. Mm. I used to go to bookstores and read books without buying them and actually continued that practice for a long time. <laughs> my uh, 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 Aunt Mai yes. gave it to us and it was in the house and I could never finish it. It was it's so short. You can read it in an hour. I would, I, and I just, uh, they didn't have enough pictures oh. and it just was so, and it was Although boring. It yeah, it but not pictures. enough. And oh, not, I love it picture so much. Yeah. You know, and I didn't think that they were. And like, I just <laughs> went completely unengaged by the little yeah. prince and read it as an adult and can appreciate it as an adult. Yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> it was one of those. One of the. It was one of the few yeah. books that I never finished as oh, a yeah. child. And yeah. TV, you said you never read any of the books that everyone loved. Well, so what did you love as a child? What was your favorite or the book that really influenced you as a kid? Was there anything? Mm. You did mention books you reread. Yeah, I, I did those books I reread. I read a lot of uh, British boarding school girl books. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was series after series, I guess. I Somebody loaded, loaded, the loaded up the library and asked for And they get shipped down and... Uh, yeah, and I, I, I would always be. I would, I would get under the, under the covers with a battery and a flashlight and piece of dynamite wire, make bone on a flashlight, and read at night. But these are these old books, like like uh, that yeah. came from. Like yeah. I can even picture they were them. The chalet school books, were they? I never read those, but I hear people talking about I don't, the Shelley School I, books. I just don't remember like British boardings. I don't remember anything about them, but I remember I, I would be so wrapped them. up in all their, yeah. their lives, and I would be so sad when it was over, because I didn't know when i get another one or when i get to see uh, uh, Girls who would have a posh on someone or ostracize, send someone to commentary. It was using an outside or somewhere. Yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know. yeah. And I read the, the Nancy Drew books. Oh, Nancy Drew is the only one of those that I didn't read. I had the Bobsy Twins, uh, but I, I, I skipped a Trixie Bellman. I somehow never hit Nancy Drew. We had Drew the all. Nancy Drew in the back of the school uh, schoolroom, and so I read it when I got caught up because my that was in grade five, mm-hmm. and Helen Hodder had brought in her copies. <laughs> but I didn't wasn't into them, but I found uh, Cherry... Uh, the nurse. Cherry Ames. Cherry Ames, Cherry Ames was, the nurse, was much she? more interesting than Nancy Drew. <laughs> Nancy Drew got kind of like kind of I, I, predictable for me. Yeah. Well, all of these books were. I mean, they, yeah, were, they were written to a formula. That's right, Nancy yeah. Drew apparently, like, the history of Nancy Drew is fascinating. I was listening to a documentary about it, about the different writers who wrote Nancy Drew in different decades oh. and how they each put their own stamp on the original mm-hmm. Nancy. Like there's a Nancy who's much more tomboyish, mm-hmm. and then there's a Nancy Drew version of Nancy Drew who's much more refined and elegant and sort of like an assembly <laughs> post of etiquette. Right. Um, like she's always smart and resourceful and solves mysteries. But depending on which writer was writing her, there are different Nancy oh, Drews, which really? are fascinating. Yes, yeah. that is. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of comes to, in a roundabout way, have you ever been in love with a character from a book? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Testify. I wish, wish it was, I wish it was video so you could see I know. Lori raise her hand. So I think I started out as a teenager and, you know, we all do this thing. I, I fell in love with, with you know, the bad boy, Heathcliff. Like, he was like, oh, my God, that's so wonderful. Oh. And then I grew up a little bit. And then I fell in love with Jamie Fraser in the Outlander series. He's just this wonderful character. Um, and But I also fell in love with, a little bit with Claire Fraser, who his, becomes his wife in the book. Um, and I guess maybe some of that is a little bit girl crush. Some of that is identifying with. She's just this, you know, remarkably strong smart 
resourceful woman. And in spite of the fact that she's in this very odd context of being time sort of traveling. time traveling well and yeah, she yeah. originates in the 1940s right. so at the goes end of the, first, the, the second world 1700s, war yes know. and then goes back to this so in neither of those you know is, is you know the, both of those contexts are still sort of worlds in which feminists are challenged but she just she maintains that throughout and and then their relationship you really get to see of course you have lots of times just lots of books but you really see this relationship you know develop so i yeah i think probably that would be, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So you were in love with both Jamie and Claire and the Outlander. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yes, that yeah. would be, yeah. Anyone else book questions? Well, of course, you know, Gilbert Blythe. Yes, you know, back and Always, you know, the, the, and the whole uh, unfortunate scenario that you, you know, will end up marrying the young man who you argue with and uh, <laughs> don't get along with and, and you that know whole is, template yeah. that template which she she works with mm-hmm. so much um uh, throughout uh in in blue castle i can't remember the oh, name of the guy barnaby is it barnaby um now i gotta look it up but yeah blue real, castle is a great if you're house. growing up in the 70s he's a real mm-hmm. 70s archetype of a uh, kind of <laughs> He was written so much before, but I know exactly what you mean. He's He's probably more of a bohemian, I guess, for that era. But he was uh, uh, he was this Mm. you know the guy who lived out in in his own cabin and uh, wrote about nature and uh, was you know self sufficient as a as an author. Um, So that was he was kind of cool. Barney, his name is. I still can't find his last name, but his name is Barney. I don't know why I was thinking Barnaby, but Barney, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a good character. Tina Chop. He's a great character. But book crush. Have you no, heard of book crush? Have you heard of book crush? I, no, not really. <laughs> I don't think I can. That's okay. You don't have to. Anybody bring a book either physically or in your head to talk about that we haven't hit on yet because soon we're going to run out of time and I don't want to miss any books that people Oh, want. I need to oh, mention Edwin Jones because of... Uh, Edward P. Jones. Edward, thank you, P. Jones. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yes. Oh, go for yeah. it. And, okay, and that's um, P. Jones. All and Hagar's Children is his linked short stories and The Known World. And um, I haven't reread books as an mm-hmm. adult, but what I often do is uh, approach it from a different mm-hmm. medium. So, like, I'll oh, li- yeah. listen to it as an audiobook oh. and then read it. Which and is then kind s- of rereading, but which is yeah, a kind yeah, of rereading. Yeah. And, but it's a different premise. And I do yeah. really like to watch a movie and then return to a book. Uh, uh, I like to watch the movie first and then read the book because then you're getting like the real, the real story. It's behind the deeper. But it's if much I've, better than doing it the other way around. But if, yeah, yeah it, it is because otherwise the movies are inevitably a disappointment, I find, yeah. after the book. But what I let, what I will do if I see a, a movie after I read a book, see the movie, then I'll reread the book, you know, often. Yeah. You know, so so that's how I uh, came to reread The Known World. And um, he does this thing where he's telling a story and then this person has a glancing moment with a very minor character, but he completely finishes that minor character story. Mm. And I told you this. Yes, as a, we about this. And, and, it's, and he does it very gracefully. So he, mm. you know, he, he moves on and yet you have completely up that tied up that, that individual's mm. life. And so uh, 
And he does that in his short stories as well. That's interesting. He's an author I have not read at all, even though I've heard you mention him several times. Yeah. yeah. Tina, was there anything, books you were thinking about that we didn't get to, but uh, nothing else you had uh, was on your mind? Or? Fall on Your Knees was the book I hugged, the first book I hugged. Really? Yeah, I know you don't like it. No. I never finished it. No, but it's so I'm, the, I'm, I'm terrible I'm person. So I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. It came up in the very first podcast I did oh, with uh, Elaine Greeley and Lynn Shepard. And Elaine had the same thing. She loved that book. And Lynn and I were both like, those were some really messed up people. <laughs> they were messed up people. And maybe that's why I like because I think that was the first book that I read, the first uh, like literary book I read, the first mm-hmm. You know, not uh, not a mystery mm. or not a chiclet or not something, not genre fiction. Mm. Yeah, or not science not fiction. Not that you were out of the boarding home. And so I would never have read it except for my physiotherapist at the time. I was off of bad knee, and the only people I ever saw were my physiotherapy people. And my physiotherapist gave it to me for my birthday, and I felt I have to read it, even though I dreaded having to read this, yeah. this horrible sounding book. And I remember, I just, mm. I hugged it so many times. There's so many ways that the language was painting mm. pictures yes, and you exactly. could it, it was a different way of reading I wasn't reading for plot I was reading for the language yes, yes. and I think that's that, that's the first time I recognized that that's you could do that with books. Yes. yes. Just, and she know. is a beautiful writer. I mean, she is. She is. Like, I, I, and, and, I, were, and I think I like, I love flawed characters. And oh, so yeah, the, here they really were, a whole book of flawed characters. I was like, oh, wow, nobody's trying to make these people, <laughs> you know, sugarcoat on my Yes, yeah, loved. Right. And this is who we are. Right? Yeah. yeah. The first, I think probably the first time, well, no, I won't say the first time. Because the first time I cried when a character died in a book was Charlotte's Web. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about a book that influenced you. But probably one of the few other times that I did was at the end of your book, Drew. Esther, oh my goodness! When oh, the Carrie, okay. when Esther dies, and I just laid the book on my chest, and I just was like tears streaming down my face. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, wow, I'm really struck by that. So oh, that was pretty thank cool. Thank you. I, I, it's a it's a lovely thing as a writer to be able to make a reader cry. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but as a reader, it's a lovely thing to be so moved yes, that you cry. Absolutely. I can still remember most of the books that have made me cry. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. just finished reading um, uh, earlier this year Madeline Thien's book. Yes, do not say we have nothing. I'm oh trying to read that now. I'm struggling. I, 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 I cried. A slow start. Okay. Right. I, I cried several times in it. And just, it was Ooh, for me an okay. emotionally draining yes, book, I will, but I, I loved delve, it. Um, and again, the language is so beautiful. Yes. And I don't know anything about music. And yet, music was all mm-hmm. the way through, and I could hear music I, that I didn't know. I downloaded Glenn Gould's Goldberg Variations after reading that book because. I wanted yes. the music in my head because it was so pervasive throughout the book. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the cup, two of the characters, or three of the characters, are musicians. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the music that they're playing is is constantly yeah. oh, referenced yeah. throughout That'd the book. That'd be great to listen to. It, it really deservedly won the Giller Prize and the Governor General. And the Governor General both. I'm going to plug. Yes, just stick with it. It's a huge. slow read, but I yeah. think by the time you're a third or so into it, it mm-hmm. gets. Yeah, it starts to pay off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt I was I was swept up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was one of those books where towards the end I was getting into one. I was oh no, please don't let this happen. Please right. don't let this happen. Yeah. Don't go in there. Don't do that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When you know you've gotten yeah. into it emotionally. Yeah. yeah. 
And then the other one that made me cry recently uh, was um, listening to Hillary Clinton's book, Hard Choices. Oh, gosh, oh, I can't go there. Can you imagine? And this was the thing is I, I, I started listening to it after the election, yeah. and then it was a, a, a library loan, and I didn't finish. So then I went back and listened to it again, and I'm listening to it. And she starts out talking about China, and it was all while the, the you know the choice for the Secretary of State and all of this. Oh. And she is so smart, and she is doing her homework, and she's listening to people, and she's and she's so idealistic. And I know, I know, I know. We know the end of the story. Yes, yes, I do. That's not right. But I no also, I also, I also know oh. that um, you know, like I read. Um, Hague's uh, Alexander Hague. Alexander Hague, the the Reagan's uh, Secretary of State, I think so, William yeah. Hague. No, it was no, Alexander. It was I. I read Reagan's Secretary of State's uh, uh, autobiography mm. also. So you know, like I know that if I hadn't been, you know, like a true Canadian Democratic voting <laughs> supporter of Hillary Clinton, I probably um, would have been saying, ah, you know, and all of this, and she's making excuses and this sort of thing. And you know, I I know that that it, it, memoirs are in many ways a self justification, but at the same time, I. Really Really was struck with her idealism, oh, and that you know, like she described. Then you know, you cry, you cry. I cried because yeah. because she described her mother dying, and um, that really hit a chord. And she has like four endings to it. I mean, like it really it's like takes, Lord of the Rings. It's <laughs> like Lord of the Rings, the movie. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's you know, and so so uh, I and I was listening to audiobooks, so I'm not really sure if this was in the afterward or what, but. Um, uh, you know, like I realized, I'm crying, of course, because yeah. she didn't win. Because, because of the what wasn't? She didn't get the one that was supposed to be right. winning. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, one. Jennifer, that's a masterstroke. We started about talking about books we loved and that influenced us. <laughs> we moved to books that made us cry, and you finished with a book about something that has made the whole world cry. Most <laughs> of us. <laughs> so, there's a sober thought to end now, but ladies, this has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. And that wraps up my conversation with Tina Chop, Lori Samery, and Jennifer Morgan. If you want to check out any of the books that we were talking about, go to my website, trudymorgancole.com. And at the Shelf Esteem link, there will be a way to get to the blog where I list every book we discussed. I'll be back again in a couple more weeks with some more interesting guests. Until then, read a good book and build your own Shelf Esteem.